You're listening to Everyday Humanity. Welcome back to Everyday Humanity. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us each and every week here. We are always glad that you are joining us this week. It's me, Beth. Hi, I'm back, and I am joined by Dennis. We don't have another um, guest host this week because we have a very special guest that we're interviewing. So this week with us is Mayor Rosalind Bliss. Hi, Mayor. Hi. Nice to to be with you. you Yeah, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, I told Dennis before we got here, um, and you and I actually kind of joked about this, I've seen you in rooms, obviously, you happen to be in a lot of rooms all the time. Yeah. Go figure. And um, I'm like, but I don't know we've actually got to hang out. So I'm really excited. But I know that you and Dennis have probably a little bit more history. And so yeah. I think I'm going to be very, um, can women be chivalrous? But I'm going to be. And I'm going to say to Dennis, would you like to start <laughs> off and ask the first question of the mayor? I know I'm not asking any, answering any <laughs> questions about can a woman because okay. th- that, that just You're surrounded not. on your yeah. left and on your yeah. right. Yeah, that will not work. And powerful women too. <laughs> yeah. No, um, you know, Mayor, I've known you for a few years now, several years actually, and um, you know what impresses me about you, and has always impressed me about you, is just your heart—your heart for people, your heart to make things better, your heart to make a difference. And I think you know that's evident in your career, right? You were in social work at DA Blodgett, politics. Uh, you teach at Grand Valley. Um, can you talk a little bit about just your journey? Like, I was joking before we went on air that how do you go from social work to wanting to be city council and then mayor? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I can tell you 20 years ago when I was uh, doing social work full time, which I guess I still kind of am in some respects. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I never thought I would run for public. I never thought I'd run for public office. Like it was not something I dreamed about, thought about as a kid, never thought about it when I was in college. Uh, It it really happened kind of organically. Uh, I got really active in the community around issues I cared deeply about, largely around child welfare and domestic violence and human trafficking. And uh, through that community work, uh, trying to raise awareness and education and change some local and state laws, I got to know this group of women. um, And This group of women was very singularly focused on getting more women elected to office, (laughs) saying we wouldn't have to advocate so hard if there were more Mm -hmm. women around the table. And uh, and they were the ones that encouraged me to run for office. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, was it? Was there some fear involved? Like, because when you run for office, you're putting yourself out there. Like, yeah. you're opening yourself up to a lot of supporters, but also a lot of detractors. I mean, so how did you, like, <laughs> overcome? Yeah, I don't know if I really knew what I was getting myself into, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, just to be totally, I mean, I was, I was 29 years old. I was a medical social worker at DeVos Children's Hospital. And um, after, so I, I started to hang out with this group of women who were very active in the community, and many of them, as I said, were pretty focused on getting women on boards, commissions, and to run for office. And uh, started attending city commission meetings. And uh, at the time, the city was starting to go through an economic downturn. So this was like 2004, 2005. Um, the recession was on the horizon. Uh, and I remember sitting in a city commission meeting when they were talking about closing all of the city swimming pools mm-hmm. and really slashing the parks department. And as a social worker who worked with a lot of kids in our community and families and 
Uh, at the time, I was serving on a Kent County child death review team where we would review all the child deaths in the county and we would look for patterns and try to identify things that we could have done collectively as a, as a community or change systems that would have prevented that death. I knew that there were a lot of kids um, in our community that died from drowning and they didn't know how to swim and that there's a higher incidence of drowning in urban areas where you have a higher percentage of kids who don't know how to swim. Uh, and that was really the issue that got me engaged. And I remember like when I decided to run, I said, you know, one, I can bring awareness to the importance of pools and playgrounds and park space for kids, uh, knowing the emotional impact that that has on people uh, and how important that is to children and families in urban areas. Uh, and if I win, I'm going to figure out how to save our parks and open pools. And so that was really, <laughs> I was pretty singularly focused when I wow. first ran. That was one of the key issues I ran on back in 2005. Uh, yeah. And then I and then I got elected and uh, pretty quickly just fell in love with serving. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt like it was an extension of social work. I felt like, yeah. uh, fortunately, I was serving with a mayor, Mayor Hartwell, who supported me in taking on issues. So I led a Blue Ribbon uh, Commission for Parks. Uh, and then I helped start Friends of Grand Rapids Parks. And then I helped pass a parks millage. And, you know, my first couple of years, I raised a few hundred thousand dollars to open our pools up. You know, working in the nonprofit world, I was pretty yeah. comfortable doing fundraising for... When your term is up, we might have a position available yeah. for you. I'm just I knew it. I could read your mind. My, my wheels are spinning. I read your mind. That was kind of like the, the... Yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. But that was that was really the hook for me was, um, was kids. I love that story because, you know, people who don't know background yeah. stories, just kind of they fill in the gaps, the narratives in their heads. And they're like, yeah. well, she must have done X, Y, Z. And you're like, this is the thing I cared about. This is what I know. I'm going to jump in with both feet, no pun intended, and here's and here's where you are today. So I'm always interested in people's sort of um, formative years. Like, were you mm. always sort of this person, even as a, a young girl who was like leading the charge and, you know, leadership abilities? I mean, imagine the answer yeah. is yes, but I'd love to kind of hear you unpack how you grew up. Yeah. Uh, so my childhood is, is very... Uh, you. I don't even know if unique. I think we all have a unique journey mm -hmm. in childhood. Uh, I don't know if I, I really considered myself a leader. So I'm from a big family. Uh, I have uh, six brothers and three sisters. Wow. wow. So there's 10 of us in 10 years, wow. which is kind of crazy. 10 in 10 wow. years? Yeah, we're all year apart. A couple of us overlap a couple days. Uh, wow. I think there's a name for that, but I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. Uh, crazy. Yeah. Well, my mom and my mom is a little crazy. Um, so I grew up in a big family, uh, and I'm number seven. So I have three little brothers, three older brothers, and then I'm the youngest girl. Uh, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula, um, and you know, grew up in a. I mean, we're we're pretty poor. But, you know, lots of people in the yeah. UP. It's a somewhat depressed uh, yeah. area. You know, my dad was a brick mason and would drive downstate to work because there wasn't much work in the UP. And my mom worked at a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I shared a room with my sisters until, I mean, there were three rooms. So my three little brothers were in one, my three sisters, myself and my sisters were in another, and then my older brothers were in another. So uh, just really grew up in a, in a tight family. Um, and then in addition to having kind of a big family and some of the challenges that come with, uh, with that, I also... Out of everyone in my family, I um, was born with a rarely uh, a, a rare bone disease, um, and so I was in the hospital a lot 
and wow. grew up um, mostly in a wheelchair till I was about 12, uh, kind of on and off. Um, and so kind of had my own personal struggles with, um, you know, I don't like the word disabled, but, you know, right. being a, a disabled child. And, um, and yeah, so I had those struggles. Uh, but fortunately, I had these really incredible siblings that cared for me. And, you know, my brother would, my brother Ray, who's a year older than me, would wheel me out to the bus, carry me onto the bus. I had a wheelchair at school, too. Uh, so it was a unique it, it was a unique experience, I think, growing up, um, having having some unique challenges. Uh, and I don't think I really stepped into leadership or really took many things on uh, until probably in high school. Like I was on the student council and I, you know, uh, kind of stepped into spaces, you know, tried to lead a campaign to get the school to stop using styrofoam in the cafeteria. So I did some things <laughs> that were important to me, but... Um, for the most part, I was, I was really just trying to, you know, yeah. get to rehab and get walking mm -hmm. again and stop using crutches. And I, I'd, I'd kind of have this roller coaster where I'd be in a wheelchair on crutches for about five or six months, and then I'd be off them for about a year, and then I'd be in the hospital again. Wow! Thank you for sharing that. That's um, yeah. so many stories of just um, overcoming and resilience, right? And I, I heard the part where you said that your brother Ray is always yeah, yeah, Ray. We're all of so just so you know, I'll give you a little fun yeah. facts about You're my all family. Ours. All ours. We're all ours. All of our middle names start with C, and then obviously B. So we're all of our initials are RCB. <laughs> That's super cool. Wow. Which I think my mom regretted it because then, like my little brothers are Ryan, Russell, and Randy, and she'd be like Randy, right, right, right. She'd get, a, she'd get them all mixed up, right? It was, and with ten of them, I don't know oh how you do God. that. She's yeah, it was crazy. Oh, crazy. Wow, but it does make it easy for monogramming the towels, though. Just that's RCB. True. Yes, that's true. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is my towel. How do you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that far from RGB, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and I love the fact that you, um, you know, ha shared these challenges and said that I had my family to come alongside. Yeah. And one of the things that we always mm. talk about at Mel Trotter Ministries, right, is um, so many stories of. Yeah. Um, childhood trauma or difficulties or growing up poor, everything that you just really um, kind of encapsulated. And the difference typically is that a lot of the folks whom we serve don't have that family support system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 They don't have anything, right? We, yeah. we quote all the time, uh, New Portland Initiative out in Oregon, and they say, um, people do not become homeless because of a lack of money, at least not right away. Mm -hmm. They become homeless because of a lack of relationships. And, yeah. and it's exactly that, right? If, if something happened to me, that I don't see coming. Um, I may end up homeless, but I'm not going to end up at a shelter or under a bridge uh, because of the family and the other connections that I have, the relationships that I have, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's so true. I, I'm, there are many things I'm grateful for, but I am so grateful and blessed for my siblings. We're, we're all mm -hmm. still very, very close to, to this day. I mean, I talk to at least three or four of my siblings every week. Uh, and we are, even though we're kind of spread about Michigan, we all still live in Michigan. We're still very close. And even when I, so I, I left, I graduated from the Sioux and I went to Mobile, Alabama, to University of South Alabama um, for my undergrad. And even being there alone, I never felt alone. Yeah. Like I knew yeah. I always had my siblings. If I needed anything, I could call them. And yeah. Yeah, and I still feel that way today. Like when I'm having a hard day, I usually call my oldest sister Renee. She's mm -hmm. like a mom to me, and yeah. I'm just very, very, very grateful. Yeah. yeah, very sweet about that. Dennis knows he makes fun of me because I talk with my hands all the time because I'm Italian. Yeah. So we also very much 
love our family and tradition yeah. and ah, all the yeah. things that come with that. So you, um, I'm going to pivot a second. I know he laughs at me just because he's like, can you say that in, without your hands? I don't think I can. No is the answer. Um, you visited Mel Trotter recently, right? Like not that long ago, a couple months maybe? Uh, yeah. yeah, a couple months okay. ago. Okay. And what, yeah. what, I mean, general question, what'd you think? I don't know how long it yeah. had been since you previously had come to visit. So it had been uh, probably just right before COVID yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, so the other hat that I wear for people who don't know, serving as mayor is technically a part-time job. So my <laughs> other job is teaching at Grand Valley State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I used to teach in the school of social work. Now I'm in the Honors College. Uh, and so I, I used to have a number of social work students who did their internship at Mel Trotter. So I would go in multiple times a year and meet with my students and their supervisor and get a tour. Um, so pretty familiar with um, the space mm-hmm. over the last, I'd say, uh, decade. Uh, and so it was great to go and see all the renovations, um, really the intention of making sure the space is aligned with the values and the mission of the organization. Uh, and then I've, I've also been very familiar with the work of Next Step. Mm-hmm. So shortly after I became mayor, um, I worked with Next Step to uh, have a contract with the city to uh, do public works projects and try to support our nonprofits, but also create opportunity for individuals who needed work. Uh, And so I've been to Next Step a number of times as well. Um, So it's really nice to, to see what the hope is for that space as well as it comes together and merges with Mel Trotter. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you've um, talked about a lot, and I know is a passion of yours, uh, and as mayor, you I think you came in immediately, and one of the things you said you really wanted to impact was housing mm-hmm. and affordable housing. So um, I think I know this answer, but kind of why was housing, why are you so passionate about housing? And um, how do you think we're doing on that? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so my personal... Um, my person, there's a lot of things I care about, but housing is really f- fundamental to me. Uh, you know, one, growing up, we mm-hmm. weren't always in stable housing. So my parents had struggles financially uh, when I was growing up, and, you know, two of their houses were foreclosed on, and it was a terrifying experience as a kid. I, in social work, I worked with a lot of families uh, in child welfare. Um, who were struggling uh, financially, who had unstable housing, and seeing the impact uh, on the families that I saw served and the children that I worked with. Uh, it's just devastating and traumatic. And um, I just know how fundamental a, a stable place to live, a, a place to live where you feel safe, where you can go to sleep at night, where you can wake up in the morning and have a shower and feel like it's a, it's a, it's a, safe space emotionally and physically that's so critical to people's mental health um, to their ability to to you know move forward and and to also take advantage of opportunities and to fulfill their dreams and to have a place to develop those relationships with families all of that is so important um, so you're right so coming in um, the very first year I had a list I actually had, kind of a list of goals broken down in different areas. Housing was one of them um, because I, I also saw as a social worker the gaps and the challenges in our system and how many families were falling through the gaps. And I'm a big believer that part of my job in serving is to fix systems. I can't solve every little problem, but I can I can be a part of changing a system that is yeah. um, has created a an environment where it's not working for, for families. 
So, yeah, so that's a little bit about why I'm passionate about it. It's so fundamental to mental health uh, and for for families in general. Um, And then I started looking at the data. So I also had the joy of working with an epidemiologist for seven years. So I have a real eye towards data. And I started taking a deeper dive into data and recognizing that there was a a bit of a disconnect. Um, And then trying to figure out, like, how do we how do we at the city take a look at what we're doing internally and make improvements? And then how do we work with our community partners across sectors? Uh, because there's lots of folks in our community that care about housing. And how do we bring them together to, to really take a look at the overall system and create change and have it be more effective? And then have data to back it up to show that where we're effective and where we're falling. And then where we're falling, how do we come up with solutions? Uh, it's been a long journey. <laughs> yep. um, so internally at the city, we have done a number of things. We've changed Uh, Some of our rules related to zoning, we've done some work to try to incent different types of housing, whether it's accessory dwelling units, smaller units. We we just recently changed Mm -hmm. um, some of our zoning rules to allow uh, smaller lots to become buildable lots. Um, We created a number of task force. We just recently uh, started the update of our master plan with a focus on housing and growth. We created the Affordable Housing Fund to be able to have dollars available for smaller scale um, types of affordable housing. I've been much more aggressive at the state level, um, trying to get uh, LIHTC or low-income housing tax credits mm-hmm. uh, in, in support of nonprofit organizations that are um, seeking that support. So in the city, we're doing a number of things. Uh, two years ago, we started to contract with Ryan Kilpatrick, again, mm-hmm. an expert in this space to help us do better. And then in addition to that, uh, for about the last three and a half years, I've served as co-chair of what was the Housing Stability Alliance, now called the Housing Kent Kent. Uh, organization to really try to bring people together at a county level to look at the system, uh, arguing that issues related to housing and homelessness are not just a city-specific issue. It's really a county-wide issue. And quite frankly, it's a regional issue. Mm -hmm. And we've worked in silos for way too long. So that work is ongoing. even though we don't see the immediate impact of this work, I really believe long term it's going to have a huge change. Yeah, I do too. And and you know, um, you know, I've ad- I've admired you and your leadership and your passion uh, in leading the city for many years, right? And I think that you are making great strides. And I think because you don't always see immediate impact, I think that it can appear as if nothing's happening. But for those of us that are working inside the system, I think in the last five years, for sure, there's been monumental change that is going to do several things. One, it's going to help us get upstream and prevent people from losing their house, right? Secondly, it's going to create housing for the people that need it and can't afford it, whether it's 60% AMI or 50% and below. And I think third, it's going to do exactly, you know, you talked about systems. It's going to, it is doing and is going to continue uh, helping us build better systems yeah. where we do take down the silos because there have been silos, as you were talking about, city, county, state, whatever. There's also been silos in the nonprofit area, right? Faith-based, not faith-based, uh, housing first, not housing first, right? We've, we've found um, all these reasons why we shouldn't work together. And I think what we're starting to see now is when we actually work together, Mm -hmm. we actually all get the impact that we want, which is reducing homelessness, getting people into housing, 
helping kids become more stable yeah. so they never have to experience that. So that's a really long-winded way, way to say that um, I'm just really grateful for the passion and the work that you've done. And you have led us a long way, oh. a long way. You're making a huge difference. Oh, so you. how many years do you have left in your term? Uh, I have two years and eight months. <laughs> That's pretty close to. I have 802 days. Countdown yeah, clock. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, well, I only say it because I get asked that quite a bit lately. Right. And I'm like, oh, I still have two years and eight months. Yeah. So what do you want the next two years and eight months to, what do you want to accomplish? Yeah. yeah. Well, my hope, so I have a, I have a number of goals. Um, so I, I hope to move forward a number of our uh environmental sustainability, environmental justice goals. So we just recently got the community collaboration on uh, climate change off the ground, really looking at what we can do to, um, you know, what can we do, especially in some of our poorest communities around climate justice. Um, so I'm excited about that work. Uh, there's some things in the city that we're working on around environmental sustainability as well. Uh, there's a lot of work I want to do around police reform mm -hmm. and building community police relations, especially after this recent tragic incident right. and the death of um, Patrick Leoya. Um, that that work, you know, we've done a lot of work in this space. Um, and in moments like this, you feel like, you know, it wasn't enough or it's never mm -hmm. enough, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that. I've always known we have more work to do. When I'm done being mayor, there will be a ton more work to do. Um, but I'm going to do the most and the best that I can with the time mm -hmm. I have left. Um, housing is a priority. I'd love to see housing can't fully get off the ground, have good data to back up not just policy decisions, but funding decisions. Um, I'm eager to move forward uh, with the affordable housing fund. So if the sale of 201 market goes in uh, or, or moves forward, I should say, we'll take $10 million of that from the proceeds of that sale and put it in the housing fund, which will get that fund closer to $17 million. Uh, you know, That's to me, at that will give us an opportunity to have yeah. uh, hopefully an immediate impact, um, especially on these smaller scale affordable housing projects. Um, and then I have some goals around... Uh, you know, parks and playgrounds, that's still near to my heart. There's a handful <laughs> of, of neighborhoods where you still have children that don't have access to a park or a playground within safe walking distance. So that's a priority um, to me. Um, in increasing our, our tree canopy is a priority. And then there's some big projects uh, in the pipeline that I'd like to see come to fruition. The river restoration is one of them. I've been working on that mm -hmm. for a decade. Um, <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's a big one. You know, obviously this sale uh, for an amphitheater, that would enable us to put money in the affordable housing fund. And then uh, connecting our trails and making sure that there's safe non-motorized trails for children and families and individuals to use uh, is a priority to me. So I kind of have a list. I have a list in my office in different it's areas. Like it's like a scroll. It is. That's it not is. a list. That's yeah. like a, It's wow. a pretty long list. This is why I was going to say long why list. you and I are friends with Chrissy Andrus because the mitten sometimes yes. calls you just need like a Friday afternoon break. That's true. Yes. That's true. Well, <laughs> and I do, <laughs> I do have some goals around environment or uh, yeah. around economic development as well Good. with a real eye to supporting our local small businesses Good. and minority Ooh. and women owned businesses. So we've done Good. a lot of work internally Good. At our within our procurement, mm -hmm. we increased our bid discount for local businesses to nine percent. It's the highest in the state of Michigan. We have a full time person that goes out and recruits folks to be certified as a vendor with the city, uh, and then and then we're working with a number of partners throughout the community to try to support um, Black and Brown owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this. So yeah. 
earlier you mentioned uh, police reform and Patrick Loyola. Yeah. And, um, you know, our heart breaks, mm-hmm. right? Our hearts break. Um, but I'm curious because, you know, whenever you assume a position of leadership, um, as we said earlier, you do open yourself up for attacks. And you have uh, taken, in my opinion, an extraordinary number of attacks personally and professionally during this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, oftentimes as leaders, we can't let that show. We have to continue. And, and then we have to almost put a persona out there like it's just sort of rolling off my back. But I know for me, it doesn't. I know for me that I can show that, but it, it really hurts. And, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to the extent that you're willing to share um, what what gets you through those hard times? I mean, the incidents that happen in the city, right? But then also even personally when um, you know you're doing all you can and you want to do more and people take their anger out on the person on top. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard question. You're right. I mean, my, my heart breaks. Mm-hmm. It really, for a whole host of reasons with this tragedy. Uh, and... I pray a lot. <laughs> I pray for <laughs> wisdom and strength, and uh, and and then I I do a, a lot of self talk. Right? I know, yeah. I know this is part of the position. Uh, you know, I know that uh, I am the target of a lot of anger and outrage and grief and pain right now, and uh, and I I also recognize that. It's it's not just about me. It's about it's about people feeling unheard. People feeling like they've lived a life where there's significant bias, um, where they get treated differently because of the color of their skin. Uh, and so, a, a lot of what I've tried to do this past month is sit with people and listen and better understand. Uh, and it gives me an energy to want to be a part of making sure that action and real change happens. Uh, and then, you know, I, I journal a lot. I've actually been journaling since I was a kid. And I sometimes have to pull back those hard moments I had as a kid. I mean, I got bullied as a kid. I mm. was treated terribly at times just because of my uh my challenges, you know, like uh, being in a wheelchair is a hard place to be. Um, and so I have to re- remind myself, like, I've gotten through hard things throughout my whole life. And uh, I have a strength in me that I have to rely on. Uh, so sometimes that's helpful when you can remember you've gotten through really, really hard times in the past. Uh, and and you can get through it if you, you know, mm-hmm. put your faith in God and you believe that. There's a reason I'm in this seat. Sometimes I don't understand it, quite frankly. I say that a lot in prayer as well. I'm like, God, I know if you didn't want me here, I wouldn't be here. And I'm I'm struggling to understand <laughs> why you think. Boy, we pray similar things. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is, it really does some days, uh, quite frankly, especially lately, it, it does at the end of the day. I just have to put my faith in God and and believe I'm exactly where I'm meant to be at this moment in my life, in this season that we're in. Mm -hmm. And I I just continue to be committed to doing the best that I can. And and not everyone sees that, and not everyone is going to appreciate it, and I'm okay with that. I think for me, when I'm done being mayor and I walk out that door at City Hall, I want to— 
I'm the one that needs to feel like I did the best I can with this opportunity I was given. And that at the end of the day, that's what we have to measure ourselves up to, right? Like we have to measure ourselves up against ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like I can't be somebody else. I just got to be myself and I got to be my best self. And as long as I can walk out of City Hall believing that, then I'll walk out feeling really good about what I've done. Wow. Mm. Wow. I'm sitting here and like all the Brene Brown quotes and Teddy Roosevelt and the cheap seats (laughs) and all of the arena, right? Yeah. It's coming into into my mind's eye. And I just think um, for such a time as this, and and I always go back to that and you nailed it. You're exactly where you were supposed to be in this time and everything is preparation. And that's a lot of times what we tell our guests too. It's like, this is a season. Mm -hmm. You are not a homeless person. You are experiencing a season of homelessness, right? And you our mayor by title, but you're not just a mayor, right? Like you are in a season of leading and exactly where you're supposed to be based on everything that God has brought you through. And we all have purpose and passion and design for a much greater purpose than we can see oftentimes when we're in it. Yeah. And um, that's one of the things that I often to tease Dennis about is like, you know, I don't know if you know, but I came from corporate 25 years and I wa- and I was volunteering at Meltrot and I was teaching devotions to guests and just being a part of, I couldn't stay away. I'm like, I love this place so much. And then when the opportunity um, arose for me to take an actual position on staff, I'm like, oh, sure, right? How hard can it be? <laughs> I've laughed every I day since. I a good selling job. Oh, now. my word. I'm like, which one of us is a salesperson here? And um, But but I'll tell you, I and I, I mean this, no way could I have done this job 20 years ago. I just wasn't ready. I wasn't humble enough. I wasn't aware enough. I wasn't proximate enough. Um, and, and I like to think, to your point, that when I walk out of here at some point, whenever that is, God's clearly directing steps that I will be able to say, you know, thank you for the opportunity. Um, thank you for preparing me. Thank you for teaching me through it. And and I hope I made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. You're oh, looking yeah. at me. I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> I was looking for a high five or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right. High five. There we go. <laughs> oh, he knows. I meant it. It's just thank you for sharing that. It's a big, big yeah. job. And I think that we, you know, unless you're doing that, it's just so easy to say she should, he should, they mm-hmm. should, you know, all the shoulds. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes, too, it's just there's a whole lot of gray. And, and I think what you said was the best thing that I heard, which was you just sit with people. You know, you're mm-hmm. just sitting. You're coming alongside and saying, I, I may not understand all this, but help me. Help me to hear you, see you, be with you. Um, yeah. And that changes our perception. Well, it does, right? Becoming proximate yep. and, you know, seeking to understand before being understood, right? Listening instead of talking. I mean, you know, some of you have heard me say this many times been at Mel Trotter for just over 10 years, I thought I knew everything there was about those homeless people <laughs> before I started working at Mel Trotter, right? And it was exactly what you'd think. It was full of judgment um, and very short on real knowledge and real understanding. And now that I've sat there and I've listened and I've talked and I've gotten to know people, it's like homelessness is nothing like what I thought it was, right? It is absolutely, it's people exactly like you and I who have experienced something that thankfully I haven't experienced, or if I have, I've, like we've talked about earlier, I had the relationship to help me get through it. And then when you start hearing the, you know, um, I grew up with a perception that most people that are homeless want to be homeless and they should just stop drinking and get a job, right? And, and I think that becomes an easy narrative for us to believe because then it absolves us of any responsibility. And we also don't have to think about hard questions like, is there actually some inequality out there mm-hmm. that I don't, that I as a white male don't want to consider being out there? Mm-hmm. You know, and now you sit here and, and I sit with our guest of color and I hear their stories and how 
desperately they want to be out of homelessness and how so many things are stacked against them that were never stacked against me. You know, and all of a sudden it changes you and it makes us, I think the three of us would agree, makes us more driven to actually impact change. You know, so um, yeah. yeah, I just go ahead. No, and I, I was just gonna add to that. You know, and I, I think I think that's what is grounds me as well is that um, regardless of of a lot of the conversations I've had um, in the last couple weeks, uh, and even before that, uh, there's a shared there's a shared priority of. I, I, even a shared love for our community, even with people who are super frustrated and angry about their situation um, or some of the experiences they've had. Uh, there's a deep love and there is a shared commitment to wanting our city to be a great, safe place for everyone. Mm-hmm. Where pe- regardless of the color of your skin, you have opportunity. You feel like you belong. You feel connected. You feel like they're... There is an opportunity for you here, and I think that's also what um, keeps me going, right? And and it really keeps all of us going, right? Is that um, we we can recognize that our experience is different, but we also can recognize that there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that we share. There's values that we share. There's commitments that we share. There are love. There are things that we love that we share, and I just feel like so often nowadays. We spend more time talking about what divides us or what separates mm-hmm. us instead of what brings us together. Yeah. And there's actually a whole lot that brings us together. That sounds like a podcast called Everyday Humanity. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Well, I cannot thank you personally enough. It's just I, anytime I can be in a room with um, with a strong woman who is making change in the world, I'm just very grateful. Yeah. So thank you for everything that you do in our community. Thank you. Yes. It's a I joy to join you. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much. Just um, just know that there are a whole lot of people that are here for you, that are praying for you, that support you, and that see you. So just um, you know, remember that, right? And in the downtimes, when you hear all the negative voices, just remember there are far more positive voices that are with you. So thank, thank you. you for all that you do. And thank you just for your friendship um, and for your support of Mel Trotter. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for what you both do. I mean, Mel Trotter is a gift to our community and um, you are doing work every day that people don't see and um, you're helping, on, you're just helping so many people and you're having an impact that uh, I think, again, sometimes you see the, the, the effect of your work that day, but very often it's years mm-hmm. before you see the impact of the hard work that you do. So thank you both for your service. Yes, yes. And listener, thank you too very much as always for joining us here on another episode of Everyday Humanity and we will see you next week.